I want to thank you for the opportunity to uh, share God's word with you this morning. I'll let you know that my wife and daughter uh, arrived in Germany safely yesterday morning. And uh, they appreciate your prayers as they minister uh, today and um, throughout the week, next week, as they uh, minister to a ladies' conference there in Berlin, Germany. And I want to thank you for your prayers for me. I'm doing doing pretty well today and doing well so far. And I'm really thankful. I know that your prayers and the prayers of many others are sustaining me through this time. I asked Pastor Stephen if he would um, sing, if we would sing uh, Amazing Grace this morning. Because I want to start our message this morning thinking about that second verse that says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Uh, dangers. That is something that's likely to cause injury. Toils. Used in reference to a situation that's regarded as a trap, something, someplace where you're caught and unable to get out. A snare. Usually is referred with reference to a trap for catching animals. As a teenager, um, my, my experience with, with Christ goes something like this. Um, I made a profession of faith when I was 12 years old. And as a teenager, um, I just didn't make the connection between what I was hearing in church and the rest of life. We lived a long way away from church, half an hour, 45-minute drive from, from church to home. Uh, and it was like a different world, and it was like a different place. I enjoyed it. I liked it. I appreciated it. Um, but somehow it didn't, it didn't click. And so there was this disconnect between the, the things of God and the, the rest of my life. So as a teenager, after reading the Bible for the first time, um, the next book that I read was a book called Pilgrim's Progress. Many of you are familiar with it. And in the book Pilgrim's Progress, Christian, the main character, uh, faces many dangers, toils, and snares. Um, he faces pitfalls. A pitfall is a hidden or unsuspected danger or difficulty, a, a pit that's covered up and used as a trap, one that you could easily fall into because you, you don't see it coming. A trap is defined uh, as a device or an enclosure designed to catch or retain an animal or person, typically by allowing easy entry but not exit, by catching hold of a body part such as a mouse trap. A trap can also be a situation in which people lie in wait to make a surprise attack. Or um, a situation where you're fed false information until you walk into a, a trap. As I read Pilgrim's Progress, I became really aware of the fact that as a Christian, there are many pitfalls, dangers, toils, and snares. There are diversions. An instance of, of, of turning something or someone aside from their 
course from their path. An alternate route, a detour that takes you away from where you really need to go. So as a young person, I began to see and perceive the Christian life from that perspective. Um, the many dangers, toils, and snares that God, number one, protects us from through his grace. But sometimes we do fall into uh, those toils and snares. Sometimes we do face those dangers. And by his grace, he takes us through. But I began to realize that it was important to have um, that perspective as I walked through life. Perspective. So I promised Pastor Stephen that I would use this illustration this morning, so I'm going to be faithful. Uh, Pastor Stephen, uh, last uh, Saturday, we were sitting together uh, at the meal, and um, he was holding his son Judah, and uh, he was in his lap, and then he put him down in the chair. And as he put Judah down in the chair, Judah was so focused on the lollipop that he wanted and was reaching for that he banged his head off the side of the table really hard. Pastor Stephen, to his credit, was very concerned and kind of embarrassed that as he put his son down, his son banged his head against the table. I think he thought I would judge him because of that. <laughs> um, but it really wasn't his fault. Judah was so focused on that lollipop that banging his head really hard made a loud noise on the side of the table. Um, it didn't even phase him. He didn't even blink. He was so focused on that lollipop that he, it didn't even, it didn't matter. Either that or it's happened so many times that. <laughs> I think that uh, as we walk through this Christian life, we have to have focus, like Judah. Um, we have to have a focus on Christ that is so strong that, um, that we're not susceptible to the dangers and toils and snares, the traps, the illusions, the diversions that, that lie in our path. As Paul um, writes this letter to the Colossians, he'd never been to Colossae. He'd been near there, but he hadn't been there. Uh, but Paul was visited in prison by um, Epaphras, the, the pastor of the church at Colossae. Um, Paul was under house arrest where he could uh, read books, he could write letters, he could send letters, he could receive visitors. And so what we understand is that Epaphras came to visit Paul during his imprisonment and uh, most likely informed Paul about the false teachings in chapter 2. The false practices that the, I'm sorry, this is, the false practices that, uh, that these false teachers were trying to get the believers to, to indulge in, to participate in. The diversions from the path to be focused on touch, touch not, taste not, handle not, to focus on Sabbath days and festivals and new moons instead of on Christ. So Paul 
gave to Epaphras um, this letter, and he, his instructions were to read it and explain it to the church once he returned. That letter is what you have in your Bibles, known as the book of Colossians. In that letter, Paul warned the Colossians not to be moved away from the gospel that they've been taught. False doctrines were being spread by Jewish Christians and also the Greek philosophies uh, that were so common in the, in the culture in which they lived. These Jewish teachers wanted the Gentiles, uh, Gentile Christians to live under the law of Moses and other regulations that would make them uh, better off, more spiritual, closer to God, able to understand hidden mysteries that only come to those who follow these laws and who practice these practices and treat the body harshly. Negatively, um, they were instructed not to be moved away from what they had been taught. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 Say, therefore, no one is to act as your, a judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These things are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Positively, Paul says in Colossians 2, 6, and 7, as you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, so walk in him. They received him by grace through faith in Christ alone. And now they were to walk by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Uh, when I first began um, driving, I had, some people who know me might say I still have this problem, but I had this problem of, of wandering, drifting to the right and to the left. And um, my mom taught me how to drive. And uh, one of the things that she, she told me was, well, where are you looking? And my problem was that I was looking right over the hood, right in front of me. And I had to look, I had to lift my eyes and my perspective and look forward, look ahead, be focused on not right in front of the car, really focused on the car, but focused on the road that lied ahead. It was a distraction of my focus. Today, um, we talk about texting and driving and how that can be a distraction. We think about things like dealing with your kids, fighting in the back seat, and how that can be a distraction from driving, moving forward. My sister has a, a, a sculpture it's one of my favorite sculptures. Um, and it's of uh, a bunch of men back in the 1940s, I guess, maybe earlier. Um, they're workers, and they're seated on a steel beam high up on a skyscraper. And they're eating lunch. Maybe you've seen that somewhere along the way. And I've always been amazed by that because I can't imagine being that high. Um, it would be terrifying to say the least. 
And if I were up there, I don't know how I would get down because I would just hang on for dear life. Um, but if I were up there, I certainly wouldn't be eating lunch. And if you know anything about the life of those guys, they walked around. They didn't think about it. They just kind of walked around. And, uh, and yes, people did die. <laughs> but, but they got used to it. And it was really a matter of perspective. I'm going to give you one more illustration. Um, my wife, before she was my wife, was a missionary in Peru, in the jungle, in Iquitos. And in the jungle beyond the Quitos. And, um, okay, uh, how many of you are old enough to remember the cartoon Mr. Magoo? Okay, for you younger people, I'm sorry, you're not going to get this illustration. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Mr. Magoo. And the thing about Mr. Magoo was just he, he wandered around from place to place and he walked into all these dangerous places. And somehow, I'm sorry, this is distraction. Somehow, he never got hurt. Uh, he, he really didn't know, oh, I, I forgot the most important factor about Mr. Magoo. He had really thick glasses. And as they would say back then, he was blind as a bat, Right? And so he's walking around, and he's walking in these places, and he has no idea where he really is and the danger that he's really in. Uh, and he walks through these construction sites, and he wanders through these different things. Uh, he talks to, he bumps into a, a tree and thinks he's talking to a person, and he has a conversation with, and he just kind of happily walks through life. No clue. And... Uh, I affectionately refer to my wife as Mr. Magoo, Mr. Magoo in the jungle because she got herself in all kinds of places where, from the missionary perspective, she probably shouldn't have been. But in her zeal to reach lost people, she found herself in a cult. Uh, famous story, she found herself in a cult with, with these ladies and she was trying to share Christ with them and they invited her to go on a retreat with them and she was going to go on a retreat and she just happened to mention it to one of the missionaries and they said, you do realize that people who go on retreats with those people never come back. <laughs> Sherry, don't go. And, and of course, she argued with them, right? <laughs> but they've been so friendly and I've had such opportunity and I've been able to talk to Christ, talk about Christ with them. Mr. Magoo. <laughs> We're supposed to have that perspective as we think about what Paul is, is, is encouraging the Colossians to do in Colossians chapter three, verses one through four. As I, as I read through this passage, one of the things that, that I really struggled with is that it just... In some ways, it just seems so abstract, and I needed to make it more concrete. So I, I brought these illustrations, the, the lollipop focus, as I call it, and the Mr. Magoo focus, and the, all these things are really a matter of one's perspective, one's perspective. Paul, in Colossians chapter 3, begins by saying, if then, or if therefore, you have been raised up with Christ, we got to stop right there. 
uh, Paul is laying a foundation for these Colossian believers. He's never been to Colossae. He doesn't know them personally, but what he's heard about really concerns him about their, um, about their knowledge about Christ and about their walk with Christ. And so uh, that foundation is really a foundation that is, is foundational for, for believers. And that is that we have to understand a fact. The fact is that we have died with Christ. That we have been buried with Christ. And that we have been raised. Past fact. It's done with Christ. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, this has happened. Now, you didn't feel it. You didn't see it. But you know it's true. It's a matter of faith. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 that through spirit baptism, the Holy Spirit has united us with Jesus Christ in such a way that we have died. We were so identified with him that we have died with him and we've been buried with him. And now Paul is making that transition to you have been raised with him. It's a fact that we must accept, we must believe, and that fact ought to change our perspective and guide us as we live, as we think. Paul's laying a foundation for godly living. That's going to be what he's going to talk about in chapter 3. This foundation for life is, is, is based on who Jesus is and who he is changes everything. He is the most important thing, really, person in the universe. Colossians 1 tells us that he is the creator and the sustainer. He is before all things. That all things exist because of him. He fills all things. He is the preeminent one. That means he's the most important one. And everything that is flows out of who he is. That's really heady stuff. But really when it comes down to it, it, it just means that he's the center of everything in life. And that ought to change our perspective. He is the first born, as Colossians says. He's the first of all those who would die and rise from the dead. And he is God. And all the fullness of God dwells in him. He is everything, therefore, that you need. Nothing more and nothing less. As I grew as a Christian, I came in contact with lots of other believers who, um, who in the sincerity of their heart wanted me to have more than just Christ. They wanted me to have ecstatic experiences. They wanted me to be more spiritual. They wanted me to know mysterious things that, that would blow my mind. They wanted me to have more than just Christ. But I learned how important it was to have that focus, to have that perspective that it's just Christ. So he says, if you have died 
with Christ and really died together with Christ. Uh, in uh, Colossians 2.20. Then the earthly things, the things of earth, the dangers that Paul really refers to in chapter 2 have no value to you. They are of no value in regard to the indulgence of the flesh. In fact, um, by focusing on those things, you're actually indulging the flesh. I have a saying that I really, it comes from scripture, but we have this tendency to want to fight spiritual battles with fleshly weapons. And we can't fight spiritual battles with weapons of the flesh. Rather, we must fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. Uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Stephen said, all of our well-intentioned efforts just don't work. And I think uh, Billy last Sunday said, all of our, uh, the harder you try, the more, more you fail. The harder you try, the more you fail. Um, what I have done for the last 30 plus years, um, really more than that, but um, is, is discipleship. Uh, taking young believers, young men especially, and helping them to grow in their relationship with Christ. And um, one of the things that I've uh, been confronted with along the way is those dangerous toils and snares. And one of those dangers that, that often will, will come along as I try to teach people to follow Jesus Christ by grace through faith is somewhere along the line someone will say, no, you don't have to do that. You just need to try harder. You need to work harder. You need to pray more. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray more. You need to read your Bible more. I'm not saying we shouldn't read your Bible more. You need to do these things or you need to not do these things. And as a result, you will be a better Christian. You'll be closer to God because you do these things. Pastor Stephen said, our failure is guaranteed if we rely on ourselves instead of Christ. Paul, in Romans chapter 7, verse 5, said, For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. What that means simply is the harder you try, the more you fail. You focus on keeping the rules and you're keeping the laws and doing this and doing that. And there's a guarantee that you will fail. Instead, as we have received the Lord Jesus Christ by grace through faith, we're to walk in him. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, Isaiah 29. It's a quotation from Isaiah 29. And, and uh, Jesus says, In vain do they worship me, teachings as doctrines of God, the teachings of men. And Isaiah says, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of traditions learned by rote. God considers our hearts 
far from him when our heart and mind is not focused on trusting in him. God considers our hearts far from him when our heart and mind is not focused on trusting in him. Instead, we're trusting in our own efforts, how good we are, how hard we've worked, how much we've done. Think of Mary and Martha, Luke chapter 10. Neither were doing anything in and of themselves that, were, that was wrong. But Martha had a, uh, she had the wrong focus. She had the wrong focus. Her focus was being busy and serving and doing for Jesus. Mary's focus was on listening to the words of Jesus and on Jesus himself. Because after all, God was present with her. Think about it. Someone invites you over for a meal and they spend the entire time off in the kitchen preparing the meal. And every time you try to talk with them, they ask you to stop talking to them so that you can focus on, they can focus on the meal, making the meal. And then they eat quickly. And then they focus on getting the dessert ready. And then after the dessert, when you want to talk, they focus on the dishes and cleaning the kitchen. And then they say, it was nice to have you over. Can I get your coat? It's time to leave. Imagine how that would feel. What that would be like. Our experience with Christ is one where we can easily get focused on the wrong things, good things but the wrong things, and they can be a diversion from focusing solely and purely on Christ. Therefore, if you've been raised up together with Christ, keep on seeking, keep on seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Uh, there's a fact that we have to accept, and that is that we have been raised up together with Christ. And as a result, we're supposed to keep on seeking the things that are above. And I think it's easy to take that, those words, out of their context and say, okay, so what does that mean? Well, it means what it meant for the Colossian believers. Rather than the earthly things that Paul's going to talk about in verse 2 that he's talked about in chapter 2 rather than those earthly focuses uh, they need to focus on Christ the thing that is above uh, I don't think that it would be possible for any good Jew to have any other perspective of what it means to focus on Christ seated at the right hand of God than Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has this vision. And Daniel is a great example for us of what it's like to, uh, to live as a believer in God in a world that has forgotten about God. Where there's no room for God, no place for God. In a very... Uh, very unlike the Jewish life in Israel, in Jerusalem, where life 
was really focused and centered around God. Now they've been deported and taken away to Babylon, and now they find themselves in a situation where folks have a different focus. The culture around them that they're surrounded with, the air that they breathe, the water that they drink, it's all not focused on God. It's focused on other things. And Daniel has this vision of God. He's transported into the throne room of God himself. And this is supposed to give the believers hope and perspective. I looked, I kept looking until thrones were set up. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. And his vesture was white like snow. And his hair was, of his head was like pure wool. And the throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. And thousands of thousands were attending him. And myriads upon myriads were standing before him, and the court sat, and the books were opened. And I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. This is some evil character who, who has power over nations, as we read in the book of Daniel. And I kept looking until the beast was slain, and his body was destroyed and giving to, given to the burning fire. And for the rest of the beasts and their dominion, uh, and these are... are earthly rulers. Their dominion was taken away. But an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. This is where they find themselves. God has granted them dominion for a period of time. And those who believe in God must wait. I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man was coming. Jesus' favorite ways of describing himself as the son of man. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Perspective. Although we're living under the rule of these awful kings and rulers who who have no room for God. And so we live in a godless society. Although evil seems to be around us everywhere. Like the hymn says, and off the wrong seems so, so strong. He is the ruler yet. Perspective. One of Jesus' favorite uh, ways of, of the describing himself throughout the Gospels is he talks about himself um, when he wants to talk about his deity, the fact that he is God. He takes people to Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. In my mind, I'm transported again to that throne room. And there's this period of time where the people of God have to wait for that kingdom that will never pass away to come. And until that kingdom comes, they find themselves under the rule of ungodly men. Sound familiar? (laughs) And although they anticipate this time when... uh, Our Lord will reign. David says that Jehovah 
says to my Lord, Adonai, these two words for God. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Then the psalm goes on and, and describes this time when this king, this Lord will come and reign and rule. And the power and the beauty and the glory of his reign is described. This is the place that Jesus most often refers to when he challenges the Jewish leaders that he is God. It's what made them so angry. Because he was taking these passages, these prophecies, and applying them to himself. Because it was true. So if you've been raised with Christ, and you have, keep on seeking the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And when you think about Christ being seated at the right hand of God, you think about the fact that he is sovereign, he is ruler over all things, even though it doesn't look like it right now. And you think about what's happening in Daniel, and you think about what's happening in our world, and you think about the fact that we live in a godless society where kings and rulers don't glorify God. They don't honor him as God. They don't recognize him as God, and, and therefore life and all of life and all the issues of life are out of whack. Verse 2, keep setting your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to live with our head in the clouds, not in touch with reality. On the contrary, we're to be living in light of heaven and the eventual rule of Christ forever. And the fact that even though now in this time where it seems like God is not in control, he is in fact still in control. What makes us seem to the world like Mr. Magoo's, right? Wandering around through life uh, out of touch with the culture and what things are acceptable and the way that people think that you should live and the, what, the ways that people think you should think. What makes us so different is the fact that we have a different perspective. Our minds are on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Uh, verse 3 says, for, for introduces an explanation. In other words, we could ask the question, why? Why should we seek these things that are above? And Paul answers that question by saying, because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a perspective that makes all of life different. As a young believer, um, one of the first books that I read uh, in the Bible was uh, the book of Proverbs. 
I took a class in public high school called the Bible as Literature. And uh, one of the things that I observed, one of the things that I noticed, but was that in two of the chapters, the same verse was repeated. In chapter 14 of Proverbs and in chapter 16 of Proverbs, there is this verse. And it says, there is a way that seems right to a man. And that is the way of death. I was experiencing that as a teenager. That was really a, a testimony, a, a, a real uh, description of how I had lived my life and where my life was heading. I really I identified with those verses and said, that's me. That's me. Then I read in the New Testament in Luke chapter 9, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you will seek to save your life, you will lose it. And anyone who loses his life for my sake, he's the one who will find it, who will keep it. You've died. You have died. And knowing that changes your perspective. Believing it by faith in him alone. The Colossians were taught that they should be treating the body harshly and keeping all these laws and Sabbaths and feasts so that they could have access to hidden mysteries revealed only to those who practice these things. But, Paul says, these decrees were nailed to the cross. The circumcision that the Jewish leaders wanted them to have, uh, they had a greater circumcision made without hands. Jesus took all of these things out of the way, Colossians 2, 12 through 14. Therefore, no one is to judge you. Don't let anyone defraud you or cheat you or steal your security, steal your focus on Christ. Don't let them change your perspective and divert you into a trap. Instead, stay on the narrow path. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life in Christ is the hidden mystery. You need no other hidden mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, is the mystery. 1 verse 26 the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been revealed to his saints to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is Christ and you have him and he lives in you. And that's why the you, the old you has to die. So that the new you, where Christ is dwelling in you and his glory is being revealed in you and to you, can be, can be revealed. Jesus Christ in us assures our faith. It guarantees that what God has promised he will do. Verse 4 says... When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, 
then you will also be revealed with him in glory. When he appears, everyone will see him in all of his glory. Philippians 2 describes this day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He'll be revealed as the preeminent one and everyone will see it and everyone will know it. Nothing makes sense without him. Nothing exists without him. Nothing has value without him. Nothing has meaning without him. It's all been created by him and it's all been created for him. The focus on Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes how I think. It changes how I live. So in my personal journey with Jesus Christ as a young man, um, I kind of began to get this picture that my focus needed to be on Jesus Christ and that I have died with him and now I've been raised with him. And although I don't always feel different, I don't feel that, I didn't go through an, a, 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 a ceremony or a ritual where I experienced that, I have to know it's true because God said it's true. I have died and my life is hidden. In other words, it's a mystery that has not yet been revealed. It is. We walk around and, and we're the mystery because Christ lives in us and, and people can't always, people can't see the greatness of the glory that is there. That's what Paul's talking about in Colossians 1. But there's going to come a day when not only will Christ be revealed, but we will be revealed with him in glory. And the glory that he has has been given to us and the glory that we have will, will shine. People will see it. It will be obvious. And although people can see glimpses of it now in your life and mine as we live the life of Christ, this newly resurrected life that he's given to us to live. There's going to come a day when all of that will be clearly made known. The mystery will no longer be a mystery hidden. It'll be a glory revealed. So how should we live in light of all of that? That's really what Colossians chapter 3 and following is going to, to address because of this new reality that we've been raised with Christ, that we've died and we've been buried and we have been raised with Christ, because of the fact that our life is, that we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God and there is a glory, a greater glory yet to be revealed, then that changes everything for us. As it did for me when I was a young teenager and began to realize and make the connection between what I was learning in church about God and how I was supposed to live my life and how I was supposed to think, not just what to think, but how to think. To think God's thoughts after him and to have that perspective of things above rather than things that are on the earth that would protect me from the dangers and the toils and the snares that are so, so common on the path that I'm trying to walk as I Seek to follow Jesus Christ. 
So if, if uh, you want a big idea, I told Billy and Stephen that I would give it at the end. The big idea is simply this. It really is. Focus on Jesus Christ changes everything. Focus on Jesus Christ changes everything. How we think, not just the things we think about, but how we think. We think about life differently. Our priorities are different. Our values are different. And people are amazed and surprised and and it doesn't make sense to them. But as they see the reality of of how we're willing to live in, in the early church, this meant being willing to suffer and to die. And sometimes that may mean that for you and I as well. But even more than being willing to suffer and to die, what most of us need to experience and and need to live out is being willing to live as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one who has died. Focus on Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes how we think about those dangers and those toils and those snares and those diversions and those traps. And it changes our behavior. Changes how we live. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 is not only a conclusion to to the dangers, toils, and snares portions of, of Colossians, but now the beginning, the introduction to, so how do we live in light of what, who Christ is and what he's done for us? Focus on Jesus Christ changes everything. 